Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska, and today we have the one, the only, the godfather of Twin Peaks, Mr. John Thorne. I had to say it. I know we haven't said it in a long time. <laughs> but um, now it's more important. Yes. There's, there's a lot of weight to this episode. I mean, there this is. show here that we have Everyone. John. He's got a new book. It's like four years in the making, John. This is so excited to, to get to talk about your new book. Well, thanks, Ben, Brian, for having me on to talk about it. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is the first time I've talked about it with anyone. So uh, for better or worse, whatever that means, <laughs> you guys can <laughs> can talk to me, uh, ask me questions. How long ago was it that you put out your last book? Was it like six years ago, maybe? Or? Yeah. So the so the first book, which is the essential wrapped in plastic, I kind of compiled all of the really good Twin Peaks material from the 13 years of wrapped in plastic into a book that came out in April of 2016. So it's been just a little over six years since, wow. since I put that out. I'm sure in the time when we had you on to talk about the book, I was like, when are you going to put out your next book? And yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because I think I've mentioned this to you before. Um, we were talking about the new Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks, The Return. We were calling it season three, two for a mm -hmm. while there. And you asked me, you're going to write about the new Twin Peaks. And I said, yes, I'm sure I'm going to write about it, but I don't know if how quickly I can do that because yeah. I'm sure it's going to be a lot to process. So six years, well, five years after the show ended, now finally I have the new book out, which is called Ominous Whoosh, A Wandering Mind Returns to Twin Peaks. Uh, I don't know when this podcast will be out, but uh, it's probably the book will have been out for at least a couple of weeks by the time people are hearing this. Yeah. And on Amazon, that's the place to go to, to actually order it. it is available for order. It's in a trade paperback form right now. Um, I will be having a Kindle version out and then also a hardcover, which is really weird. Uh, mm, wow. And they offer a hardcover option now. It's a laminate hardcover. It's, you know, not a dust jacket, but yeah, I did that more for just for my sake. I think I'd love to be nice to have a hardcover. So, you know, well, I haven't seen that yet too. I'm waiting on the proof version of that. And hopefully this week I'll have that and, and it'll be out too. Eventually. There was at least one person on Twitter that was excited for the hard copy. So <laughs> yeah, at least one person, you know, I mean, I, and I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, to anyone who's listening, uh, the hardcover is like twice as much for the same thing. So, yeah. you know, buy the paperback if you just, you know, want or the Kindle, you get the same content. Again, I did a hardcover because I thought, why not? The option's there. Yeah. I might as well do it. And I'll get some for myself and I'll, I'll have a few probably signed copies that I can sell at some point if anyone cares about that kind of thing. So Awesome. What was it that all of a sudden there was a spark and suddenly said, you know what? I need to sit down and start writing. Like, what was it that <laughs> suddenly made you think? It was now us. It was us then. It was, yeah, right. It was you guys. You you guys cracked the whip. You said, come oh, on, no. do it. And somebody asked me this before, and I just said, you know, honestly, I, I felt compelled to write about Twin Peaks. I'd spent so many years of my life talking about Twin Peaks. Wrapped in Plastic was 13 years of work on talking about uh, Twin Peaks. It, it's part of my life. And so then there was 18 hours of new Twin Peaks. And Almost for my own sake, I felt like I needed to process it. I needed to write mm -hmm. about it to kind of try to come to some sort of terms with it. It, It's, you know, you know, it's a pretty complicated, confusing 18 hours. Kind of felt like I needed to finish the journey. That 
new show came on. And it, at that point, then I was only halfway done with Twin Peaks. I thought I was all done with my writing about it. Mm. And so, so I just felt like it, I needed to do it. And I really did write this book, you know, more for my sake, hoping that other people might find some value in it. Certainly kept in mind audiences who might be reading this and hoping that I might be able to contribute something to Twin Peaks fandom and and research and theory, but also I just felt just a need to write about it. You know, and I got this and I, and I, and I of course started off by looking at like, how is it structured the book? And it's funny, you hinted for years how this book might be like, oh, you know, you've been rewatching uh, all the parts and all this, but in my head, I was like, okay, this is going to be a theory, all theory book. And it is actually a book where you go and you dive into every single part of of season three and, and and they have theory in there and 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 you have like you step back a little bit from time to time but i didn't realize oh wow you really did we, you, you get a, basically a chapter on every part of of season uh, three the return which i love i think that's awesome yeah i you know at first that's all it was going to be was just i was going to write my way through the 18 hours i'm going to have a chapter for every part and i started doing that and there's quite a bit of material that didn't even end up in the book because I wrote about you name the scene and I wrote something mm. about it. I wrote every scene, even if it was a minor scene like Gordon Cole and, and Diane share a cigarette in the stairwell. I mean, I wrote about it. Wow. And then later, after all that was done, I realized a lot of this, it's not contributing necessarily to my discussion of what I think the show is, is what, you know, what it's about and what it's doing. So I, I edited out a lot of, of that, but yes, I did. I went through all 18 hours and, and I had some ideas, I had some theories. And as I went along, I realized those, some of those theories, some of those deeper dives needed their own chapters. And yeah. so in addition to each chapter for each part, there's eight or 10 essays that are interspersed where I take on one particular topic and kind of try to really un unwrap it. Uh, no pun <laughs> intended. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, there's a there's a chapter on Diane. There's a chapter on Audrey. There's a chapter on the core chapter in the middle of the book is Laura Palmer and what her function is in the new story. There's a chapter on Cooper's divided self and his soul. There's, you know, essays about all of this. There's an essay about communication and Lynch's theories of ideas. And those are all interspersed throughout the book. Um, you could skip those if you wanted. You could read just the 18 chapters and still mm. get the, the idea of what I'm uh, thinking, of what's happening in this story. Those essays that are interspersed just give you that extra detail on, yeah. on what I think is happening. Like each chapter, it's like so meaty, John. Um, when I listen <laughs> to In Your House Now, right? You got you and Josh and whoever your guest is sometimes it, it gets me going just thinking and like what I don't know what it is. You are just so good at painting such a great picture in your mind. You, you're such a great writer and speaker when it comes to Twin Peaks that like when I listen to that podcast, I'm like already thinking like an hour the day later. I'm thinking about what you guys talked about reading this book. It's the same way. I'm hearing you narrate the book to me. After a chapter, I need a good 10 minutes just to... Because <laughs> I'm already... Like, as I'm reading it, you, the, the things you're bringing out in me and my imagination and my thoughts, I have to stop. I'm like, 
oh my God, I just read a chapter. I'm not processing because I'm thinking about what you just brought up in that last paragraph. Yeah. So I got to reread that again because I'm lost in my own thoughts, how great you are in expressing your thoughts when it comes to this topic and how I just get lost. I get lost in what you're discussing all the time. And I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> well, I, that, I appreciate that. And, and you know, you're, you're hitting on something that I hope does happen, which is I'm throwing out a lot of theory and, and deep yeah. dive, but I know that it's just my, and much, much of it is just my take on it and that other people might see it differently. And right. it, the, the best thing that can happen is if someone's reading it and they're like, I, I just thought of something brand new. It's not in the book, but you made me think of this idea. That's the kind of stuff I like to read. I've read a lot of stuff. Um, you know, Martha Nockamson has written great stuff on David Lynch, and, uh, and there's an essayist named Tim Kreider who I comment a little bit about in the book. And I read those those folks, and I don't necessarily agree with what they're posing, mm. but I'm like, wow, they. I just I just thought of it in a different way. If I hadn't read that, I wouldn't have thought of this. And so then right. I'm like all ready to kind of come up with my own take. So I hope that you know, I hope that happens. I hope people. Don't just read it with, I'm telling you what is happening, yeah. but I'm suggesting, rather, I hope they see that I'm suggesting these ideas and that you might interpret it different than I do. That's the ideal situation. Yeah. Totally. I, I, and there are times where I've listened to the podcast and in the book, I haven't gotten to that, to that yet, but in the podcast, I, there's parts where I'm like, I... I don't know if I agree with what they're saying, but it's making me think of uh, different things that I would not have thought about. You know, it's, it's like assembling some pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And if I can just show you what the pieces are, like, oh, yeah, there's some pieces I didn't see before, then uh, I put them together this way. And But mm. you might say, or a reader might say, I didn't think about those pieces. I'm going to put them together in a different way. Yeah. That is, you know, that's the hope. Yeah. You've done it. Yeah. Yeah. In Ominous Wush here, uh, your book, I think about you're kind of like a tourist guide. I feel like you're kind of there kind of <laughs> leading us in and showing us like, okay, here's part one and here's part two and showing us and, and, and saying, here's what we, we might want to focus on and look at. And, and uh, I also like that, you have a habit of saying, you know, I'll, I'll sprinkle a little bit in, but we'll, we'll get to that more later. So it's kind of like, oh, it's like <laughs> I, I, there's more to come here. But you're just giving us a little taste of this and say, oh, in future in future uh, chapters or parts there, you'll, you'll we'll get more into that, which I, I think you do a really nice job with. Well, and that was the tricky part about this. You know, the first five parts or six parts of the return is there a lot of you know lynch and frost are laying a lot of groundwork stuff happens but not a lot of stuff happens you know what i mean mm. it's like it's um there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of great material in those first parts but so much of it is just planting the seeds for stuff that's going to come later in the story so when you're writing about it and of course after i wrote all the way through i had to go back to those early parts and start mm. kind of connecting it to mm. the end, you, you know, you want to, I try at least to say, uh, you know, all of this stuff is important and it's going to lead to something else, but let's not, you know, give, give the whole thing away right now. Let's try yeah. to yeah. at least put the building blocks in place. So it'll hopefully, uh, my theories at least will 
make a little more sense when we get because you know what happened in um and I, I know you guys have just got the books you probably had a chance to read the whole thing reviews i do of part one and two and three and four and five those are really almost like episode guides with some with some theory but part 16 17 and 18 are almost like essay you can't just say this is what happened you have to say this is happening because of all right. this other stuff that's happened so my approach to the parts really kind of alters as we go further and further in until we get to that those last three and at that point i'm just you know stopping in the middle of the chapter and going okay here's all the theories we can look at here's the different <laughs> ways we can approach it i reject this one for these reasons i accept this one for that and and so it becomes much more of a discussion rather than a report on those later parts in part one you talk about uh Sam and Tracy and it's like some some fans think that it's a uh, uh, sex magic that you know right. um, Tracy brought the experiment uh, into the world and I'm like yeah I, I believe that and it's like yeah yeah John's like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> well I want to have that conversation well I mean like, well, I, I'm not trying to say no that that's not it I did in that particular case I said well I don't really see what I try to do is if there's a good theory and that is a good theory is I try to fit it in and say, well, if that's the case, then why and what's happening? And I couldn't find any reason other than, oh, that's what it looks like. Well, okay, that's what it looks like, but what would be the reason for it? Why right. would they be summoning experiment if that was the cause? And so I try to, I, that's what I try to do. I try to take some, in some cases, that was one of them, some really good ideas mm. and, and then sort of say, well, I, you know, it doesn't work for me because I can't make it work. Maybe somebody else can, and I'm sure there's other ways to approach it. But then I think, well, what does work for me? And, and, and sort of give an alternative. So in that case, I was thinking that Tracy belongs to those strange, we see them over and over again, those strange forces that appear in the story that are related to the letter Z. She has mm -hmm. the Zs on her, her lapels. And every time we see a Z yeah. appear, it's there to some, in some way assist Cooper. And so what is she doing? Is she assisting Cooper in some way? I, I think I, I put forth some ideas that maybe she is assisting him to allow him to pass through the box unseen so he can continue on. And she's diverting experiment so that it's not going to get him, you know, those kinds of things. Mm. Yeah, but I like that you kind of lay that out there and you say, OK, there's this, there's this and this is how I see it. And I think you do a great job kind of laying things out for people. How many times do you think you rewatched The Return? <laughs> Straight through. I mean, like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I, guess, I mean, I imagine there were some uh, some areas you had to spend more time on a, on a, on a part than others. But especially. Yeah, the, I think were. I've watched the whole 18 hours. I've probably watched it five times. You yeah. know, wow. sitting there and watching it, either taking notes or watching it really close. And, and I certainly watched it with all the um, subtitles on so I could make mm -hmm. sure I got everything there. There were scenes where you have to go through over and over and over and over again. Some of them I probably watched 20 or 30 times just to kind of really take it fully apart and try to figure out some of what was happening. This reading is from the prelude chapter to Ominous Whoosh, entitled The Darkness of Future Past. What I choose to do with the present is to come to terms with Twin Peaks The Return, to make peace with it, if you will. No matter how confounding Twin Peaks is, there is something immensely satisfying about it, something transformative. 
We will never completely understand the whole of Twin Peaks. Pieces of it will endlessly elude us. But struggling with the mystery of the work is a worthy endeavor in itself. Engaging with Twin Peaks can be revelatory, not only in what we see in it, but also about what we ultimately see in ourselves. Yes, some argue that it's pointless to interpret David Lynch's work, that the return resists analysis. In fact, some critics explicitly advise us to avoid trying to decipher Twin Peaks altogether and simply let the work wash over us. While there may be some merit to this argument, I believe such an approach encourages surrender to rather than engagement with the art. And when it comes to Twin Peaks, I don't see any value in remaining passive. When someone asks why I've spent so much time and so many words on Twin Peaks, my answer is, why do you sing along with your favorite song? I believe each of us wants to participate in the art we love. If the art is special, if it touches us like nothing else, we can't merely sit still. We must express ourselves. We sing and we dance. Twin Peaks is my favorite song, and I am compelled to sing along with it. If we wanted the return to answer questions, well, it did. It also gave us a bundle of new questions to ponder. That's as it should be. Twin Peaks began with a question, who killed Laura Palmer? And that question spawned countless others. Questions keep Twin Peaks alive. They keep us going back to the story again and again. Decades from now, audiences will still be debating and dissecting Twin Peaks. Many will be celebrating it, while others will be cursing and, yes, indicting it. Twin Peaks evokes strong emotions, and that won't ever change. Love it or hate it, Twin Peaks is a kind of magic, and all of us who spend time with it, whether we be critics, fans, detractors, or devotees, are under its spell. I hope the book does a couple of things. And, you know, there's different audiences in mind when, when you write it. So I'm guessing a lot of people, a lot of people have only watched it once. I mean, it's 18 mm. hours, you know, yeah. um, maybe when it was on in 17, 2017, we, we watched it and then we watched it again, that, in that episode again. Right. So, you know, some of the diehard fans here have watched it twice, at least twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's 18 hours. And so what I hope for, you know, from one level is that people can just say, okay, um, I really want to watch it again, but I'm not sure I have the time. We can read the book, which is not a quick read necessarily, but I've kind of gone through it. And, and here's, if you just want to be reminded of what happened in part one and part two and part seven and part nine, and just want to kind of get the essential breakdown of where the story was going, you can read it for that, just for that. You don't have to, you know, go into all the theory and, and my explication of what's happening. So on that, on that level, it's like an episode guide. You know, yeah. it, it works that way. I, you know, you could pick it up and go, I just want to see what happened in part 11. You roll to that, you know, chapter. You could read through it and say, okay, yeah, I remember now. So that's one level. And then, of course, you know, I was hoping to thread the needle, try to make some sense of where the story's going. So there's a little deeper uh, effort there to kind of connect everything. And then even deeper than that, I have those essays where I really take some of the the thematic elements of the story uh, apart and, and examine it. Right. So I, I guess what I'm saying is for anyone who's listening who's curious about the book, hasn't bought it yet. It's not just a real dense book of theory. Mm. Um, I try to put some good theory in there, but if you wanted to just sort of remind yourself of what happened, I think it works just on that level as well. Yeah. 
And I feel like it's a good companion reading these chapters. And I'm like, I, it makes me want to rewatch The Return again. It makes me yeah. want to sit down and watch part one and then read that that chapter on part one from you. And it was such a joy that I, I made me want to. I mean, I, we love Twin Peaks, of course, since we have a podcast. But it's still, <laughs> it's still reading this. It's like, oh, I didn't maybe look at it this way. And it would be kind of cool to just rewatch it again and, and, and see it through your eyes, John. I like a book like that. When I read a book on a, a film or a television show that I really like, in fact, I just finished Matt Zoller Seitz's book on Deadwood. I'd only seen Deadwood once and I watched it again. I watched the whole thing again. And that's the kind of book I like where it's like, you know, you're opening it up for me in a way. I missed that the first time or I didn't connect those things or this is a real deep reading of the story. I want to I want to watch it again. I hope that there are some people out there who will read this and, and say, yeah, oh, wow. You know, I forgot about that. I want to see it again now. You know, that's a compliment if you say that. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. <clears throat> Such thought and care put into this writing and and, and how you put uh, even the, the way you at the beginning where you're like, you know, you understand that there are some fans that really do like season three, but there's plenty of fans that don't like season three and, and acknowledging that. And um, that art is subjective. And I, I have a, um, a co-worker, uh, somebody I work with, and uh, we talk about Twin Peaks all the time. And one day he just said to me, Ben, you know, I don't know if I really like season three. And I was like, <laughs> for me, it was kind of like, it was almost heartbreaking. It was sad, but I also had to respect that and understand. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not for everybody, but maybe a book like this could give a different perspective. It's not, it's not 1990 Twin Peaks. It's a whole different, you know, we're in different decades and maybe, it, you know, I, I feel I'm tempted to get your, your book just to give to this coworker, just say like, here's why we love it. Here's what's great about it. And stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, so I, I really was thinking that first chapter was written that that introductory chapter was written to address a lot of fans who didn't like the show. And I was thinking of that, or I was thinking of two main audiences. Um, I, and, and I tweeted about this recently because somebody bought the book. They tweeted to me and said, I bought the book, but I didn't like, really like it. I hope this changes my mind. I was like, that's what I'm hoping for. If I can just reach a yeah, few yeah. people who weren't really that thrilled with it. And then I can maybe just get them to appreciate it a little differently, or maybe a little more. They don't have to love it. I think the show itself addresses the idea of nostalgia and how we kind of want to go back to how we felt when yeah. we were watching something, but we're different people later in life. And part of the trap we can fall into is to kind of just want to relive the same feelings over and over mm -hmm. again. And I think the show talks about that. there's a lot of characters in the show who are trapped in their lives from the past. They haven't been able to break free and they're not very happy. I'm not saying that we love Twin Peaks from 1990. I love Twin Peaks from 1990. This show is asking us to kind of think about it a little differently, the, the new Twin Peaks, and to allow for things to change in life. And so I, I was thinking of that audience and hoping I might be able to reach a few people to say, there's nothing changed about the original Twin. It's still the same Twin Peaks that we love. This Twin Peaks is just asking us to think differently about, you know, ourselves a little bit as we go through life. That audience was in my mind. Obviously, the audience that already loves The Return was in my mind. And for, the, for those readers, I'm hoping that, you know, I can say, okay, here's some deep analysis of some of what's going on. And the people who are already kind of open to the show will be interested in, in those deeper 
dives. So there was two, two readers in mind, one who loved it and wanted to really dig deep. And then others who might say, I'm not sure. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm very well aware that few people who didn't like the return are going to spend $20 on a book about it. I know that. Yeah. It would for you, John, because you are the godfather. <laughs> well, you <laughs> you've know, given uh, Wrapped in Plastic, you've given the podcast, you've given so much of your life to Twin Peaks. These people are going to repay you in buying your book. Well, you know, I, that'd be nice if a couple did. I mean, if I, if again, if I get somebody to say, yeah, okay, you know what, I, I, I see it a little differently now. They don't have to, again, they don't have to come away from it going, oh, you know, it's the greatest thing of all time. But what I'm trying to do is trying to say it's perhaps a mistake to apply the same feelings and, and, and approaches to how we look at the original Twin Peaks to the new Twin Peaks. It, this new one is asking us to look at it a little differently and to look at ourselves a little differently about how much memory, you know, and, and our feelings of the past um, can sometimes bog us down a little bit. So, so that, you know, that I was trying to, without being, you know, I, I don't want to be too, I don't want to be critical of someone who doesn't. There's people who don't like it. That that's fine. I mean, people don't like a lot. There's stuff I don't like that people love. Yeah, I, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just doesn't work for me, and I get that. And I and I don't want to come across as saying you're wrong if you don't like it. But I do hope I might be able to coax a few people to say, let go a little bit of what you wanted out of Twin Peaks. And accept what Lynch and Frost gave us with the new mm. Twin Peaks. Did you have a favorite part that that you these that you really love that you wrote, and a favorite interlude? Well, for sure, the middle interlude is what I call the essays. The one about Laura Palmer as um, you know, explaining what Part Eight. Well, not what just what Part Eight is, but what happens in Part Eight. What Laura's new role is in the story. I was just looking at that again before we talked, and I really, really feel very confident in my interpretation of what's happening there with, with the firemen creating so you know quote unquote creating Laura and sending her to Earth, and then what Laura's role is in the story, particularly in Part Eighteen. I do feel very secure in my interpretation of that. Again, I'm not saying it's absolutely right but i i really have a lot of evidence to support this particular reading and i feel good about that I, you know as for the parts i mean as for the individual episodes i mean each one of them is got something unique in them i really like mm -hmm. taking apart the i think it's part 11 where we see what happens with bobby in the intersection of double r diner you know and all that crazy mm -hmm. stuff that happens with the woman you know kind of crying you know hey we need to get home this is a section of a chapter regarding part 11 of the return entitled, There's a Fire Where You Are Going. Uh, this section has to do with what happens to Bobby when he's in the Double R Diner with Shelly and Becky. And there's been some gunshots and uh, Bobby runs out of the diner. Bobby emerges from the diner into a cacophony of blaring horns and screaming people. Cars are stopped in the intersection, and onlookers watch as a woman yells at her husband, furious that their son found a loaded gun and discharged it. The husband silently stares at his wife, exasperated, but nonetheless cowed. Their son stands to the side of the family's van, defiantly watching Bobby approach. Bobby notices that the boy and his father are both dressed the same. Each wears a camo hunting jacket, blue jeans, and a camo baseball cap. Horns continue to blare, one from a car behind the van. 
Bobby pleads with the driver to stop making so much noise, but the driver is distraught and wails about being delayed. We're late, she cries. We have to get home. Then, looking desperately at Bobby, she yells, she's sick, and a girl rises out of the shadow of the passenger seat, drooling a thin stream of vomit. Staring at Bobby, the girl convulses and spews. The din of honking horns intensifies. The woman screams, the girl vomits, and the camera pushes toward Bobby's dismayed face. The scene ends here, leaving Bobby stranded in the dark in the middle of chaos. Bobby will not mention this incident again. He won't investigate the gunshots or follow up on the mystery of the vomiting girl. The nighttime bedlam outside the double R will remain an isolated event within the larger story of the return. What meaning, then, is behind this striking, unforgettable scene? The chaos outside the double R reflects Bobby's overwhelmed psyche. Moments earlier, Bobby confronted the truth of Becky's tumultuous life. He knows Becky's reckless driving almost killed Shelley. He knows Becky is in an abusive marriage and probably doing drugs. He knows Becky fired a weapon into another person's home. These are the actions of a young woman in serious trouble, and they remind Bobby of his own delinquent youth. Imagine there had been no gunshots. Imagine Bobby said goodnight to Shelley and Becky and went home and had a dream. In that dream, Bobby's churning mind wrestles with all he has learned about Becky and been reminded about Shelley. His anxieties and fears manifest, and in his mind's eye, he sees bullets rip through the diner, watches a family fracture around a loaded gun, witnesses a young woman vomit poisons. This is how Bobby's subconscious mind might render his fears. In Bobby's dream, a boy, emulating his father, fires a gun into a protected space. A woman frantically honks her horn to clear a path through gridlock, and a girl hides her sickness in the shadows. Bobby, a passive observer in the tumult of his own mind, watches in bafflement and despair. Lynch emphasizes Bobby's confusion with a final close-up of Bobby's face and with the amplified sounds of car horns. We don't know if Bobby went home and dreamed the chaos outside the double R, but what we see in the intersection is so exaggerated and inexplicable, it might as well be Bobby's emotions come to life. Bobby is the dreamer living inside his dream, and his bewildering encounters evokes the absurdity, unpredictability, and fear of our current age. Such plot-free moments need not be addressed again because they have a singular purpose. They connect us intimately with a specific character. When Bobby's roiling psyche comes to life in the nighttime street outside the double R, we don't simply watch Bobby, we become him. Enjoyed writing that, and I, I, I enjoyed writing part 18. Part 18 is tough, is tough, but, but I felt by the time I was writing that, I felt really good. I, you know, I kind of, I feel confident in walking through all of what's happening here with, with Cooper and what happens when he goes to Judy's diner and what happens when he finds Carrie Page, what happens when he gets to that strange pseudo Twin Peaks at the end. I, I felt pretty good about that. What happens with Diane at the beginning of that part? I felt confident in it. It was part where you talked to, a, maybe it's interlude number one here where Cooper is a constant presence. I've been thinking about that for, you know, the past five years about that, but you go into more detail, not only from like dream, but also versus like the meditated narrative. Mediated. Oh, mediated, sorry, mediated narrative. So yeah, uh, so 
when you get to part 17 of the return and Cooper's face suddenly appears, right? Yeah. I mean, we live inside a dream. And he says we live inside a dream, but no one in the show, no one in the sheriff station sees that or hears that, right? Yeah. Nobody, Cooper, even Cooper standing, he doesn't like look up and go, what's that? We see that, the audience right. sees that, but they don't see it. So what the heck sure. is that, right? I mean, so that to me was Lynch basically saying, saying something else is happening that's very, very important in the story. My effort really is to try to make sense of, of what that is. There's a number of theories going on as I step through this. There, the two biggest theories that I present in the book, the first one I've already talked about, which is Laura's new role and what's happening with Laura and why, why is she crucial to the story? Why is it the log lady says Laura is the one? That comes a little later in the book, but critically important. But before that, and probably the most difficult and, and important theory is what is Cooper's role in the story? So I, I very carefully looked at what happens to Cooper when he's in the Red Room in part two. There is a scene in, in part two where he phases through the curtains and he sees mm. two Red Rooms overlapping and they kind of they're they're kind of separating, hmm. and I and then there's a close up of his face at that point. It's not exactly the same thing we see in part seventeen, but it's a close up of him watching. Mm -hmm. And my theory essentially is that Cooper's mind is still in the red room throughout the story. And there's two physical Coopers in the world. One is Mister hmm. C, and one is Dougie. But the mind of Cooper is sort of trapped in the red room still watching everything happen, and we are seeing the story through his eyes we are watching the story that cooper is watching and so that's why some of the odd things happen sometimes some of the weird things like there are more than one instance where the camera moves by itself there's one where the camera pushes in toward the farmer's door the guy that andy had met earlier mm. and, and he mm. never found and there's an open door and something happened we don't know what it is but the camera's moving in to me, that's Cooper wanting hmm. to see what's happening. It happens again in Ben Horn's office when that humming noise appears and Ben and Beverly leave the office. The camera moves across the office and into the wood. And I think that's Cooper wanting to know what is the sound. That chapter you're talking about is my effort to try to carefully explain what I think we're seeing when we watch the whole show is that we're seeing Cooper's version of it. It's not a dream. A dream would be kind of a fantasy that he just sort of made up, but it's his interpretation or his particular um, viewpoint. And I say in that chapter, if it had been Hawk telling us the story, we would have seen the same story, but we've seen it a little differently in Hawk's kind of point of view. Maybe Tammy told us the story. Yeah. We would see it from her point of view. She would mm -hmm. emphasize certain things. She would de-emphasize certain things. She might not understand something and try to figure it out and we her way of doing it so that that is basically the, the underlying concept that i'm trying to get at in this book is that as we watch the 18 hour almost 18 hours this doesn't really apply to the last mm -hmm. part but as we watch the story we're seeing it as cooper sees it he's confused he's kind of frustrated he's trying to make sense of the world he's watching and so when we watch it and we're confused or we're not sure what has happened, we're seeing and feeling what Cooper is seeing. That 
long answer, but it's tough. I mean, I spent a lot of words trying to kind of carefully explain that. Yeah, again, basically say it's not a dream because I don't like the idea of it being a dream. And a lot of people, and you know, Cooper does appear at the end and say, we live inside yeah. a dream. Well, I don't like the idea that it's a dream because if it's a dream, if it's all a dream, then everybody in that story is just a figment of someone else's mind, Cooper's mind. Yeah. And if that's the case, then what's the value in Ed and Norma getting back together? What's mm. the value in the death of the log lady? What's the value in Nadine coming to um, revelation about her life? What's the value in those things if they're just you know, happening in a dream? I want to believe that those characters are real and that they went through something important. In this way, that really did happen. We're just seeing it as Cooper's seeing it. He's watching yeah. from the Red Room. He watches mm -hmm. Ed and Norma get back together again. It really happened. Yeah. It also affected Cooper. It impacted him to see that. And so when he reunites with a fantasy Diane in part 17, he has the same kind of kiss with her. He kisses her in the same way Ed and Norma do because he wants mm. that. He saw it happen. Wow. He wants that. Again, what I'm trying to do is say it's not a dream. Right. Because, again, I think a dream diminishes the whole story. And then there are Tim Kreider I reference in the book. He wrote a whole essay about it being all Cooper's dream. And that's a great way to look at it. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. But it also takes away something. And so I didn't want – I'm trying to find a way to say this story really does still have a lot of substance and meaning to it. But there is also an interpretation going on. We're seeing it from a particular point of view. So I'm trying to have it both yeah. ways. I know. I like that. <laughs> I, mean, I like a lot what you're saying. For me, I like the idea of like, well, he, could he be in the Red Room and be out of the Red Room at the same time? Because I think of the Red Room not having time. That's how – Cooper right. can be with Laura and Firewalk with me at the end. Could he actually be helping himself? <laughs> oh, well, the, I, you know, I, and I get into this a little later is, you know, who's behind the forces that are helping Cooper? You yeah. know, it could be it could be Major Briggs. It could be the firemen. There's certainly evidence to, to show that Briggs had a plan. You know, Cooper talks or Cole talks about it. And and or we see the firemen, obviously. And in fact, there's a scene where Briggs is in the firemen's realm at the very mm -hmm. end. You know, they're yeah. steering Mr. C away from the Palmer House and depositing him in the sheriff's station parking lot. So there's all these like players behind the scenes that are kind of manipulating things. But it could be Cooper, too. It could be that Cooper in the Red Room is somehow able to, you know, help him himself a little bit. He might have helped him when like the spike attacked and Cooper was able to kind of make that passive Cooper fight back against Ike or maybe Cooper. in the Red Room somehow gets the Polish accountant to kill Hutch and Chantal. I mean, who knows? But that. Polish accountant has a Z in his name, you know, Zawaski uh, is yeah. his name. Oh. And so I don't say definitively it's Cooper, but I do suggest it could be Cooper, could be the fireman, could be Briggs, could be something else that we don't even know about. But something seems to be protecting Cooper. There are these forces and maybe it is Cooper watching from the Red right. Room. It seems like uh, gold sometimes is used in, in the show in season three to represent the soul. At least it was when the, the young boy got hit by a car and it and it makes me think, like, you know, and it, it seems like like when you're at the casino, there's like a gold uh, Red Room. Uh, yeah, thing. Thing that, that 
well, that's another thing. That's another one of those. The Red Room avatar sort of appears over the winning, you know, right. machines to sort of guide Cooper to wealth. One of the theories I put forth is that these forces, whatever they are, are not only trying to protect him from threats like Hutch and Chantal or the Mitchum brothers, or they were going to kill Cooper in the desert, but mm. the the, Zawa, uh, the Zyman's Bakery, you know, uh, and I think it's Philip Gerard is sort of beckoning him. He gets to cherry pie. The cherry pie saves his life. You know, something interfered to protect him. But also these forces, the ones, the, the green dots that appear on the papers as he's sort of scribbling, mm. uh, those are, and, and, the, and the ones in the, the casino, those are there to improve his life so he gets a lot of money hmm. um and now he's rich or you know, relatively well off um and he's also uh, uncovered this um scam that's going on at work so now he's like a really valuable member of the workforce you know uh, yeah. which no mullins is like wow you know you really <laughs> you made things better for us and so when cooper comes back to janie e in part 18 and i would argue that that's a, a different version of Cooper, and I do go into it. He's got a great life now. He's got mm. a wife who loves him. They've got money, and he got a great job. And the people at work love him. They they're like value him. You know, he he he's done good for the work. He he. So so it's like those protective forces kept him alive, but they also made his life you know more secure when he comes back to it. He's like, okay, I got a happy you know for you know ever after. Basically, right. yeah, so, true. So the, the question I want to ask you, John, it, it, I, I haven't gotten to this chapter yet if you talk about it, but I'm interested because it's something that I noticed the first time. And I think you were on the show and I brought it up when Mr. C shoots at uh, Phyllis Hastings in, in the house. The shot was weird. Like, there yes. was like weird CG. A, I remember I, yeah, I, I brought it up to you and you're like, well, maybe Lynch was just playing around with something. <laughs> and I'm like, it was just bizarre because I don't think that happens again in the show. Now time has passed. I mean, do you just think that was just Lynch having fun or was there more to that shot? Well, uh, unfortunately, I may disappoint you because there's, I don't really address it in the book. I did. I had, I had written about it and I took it out. And the reason why I took it out was I thought at the time I was writing it because I'm, I think it's changed as I wrote. I mean, as I got right. deeper into it, I realized, okay, now I kind of have a sort of different, slightly different theory. I thought maybe Phyllis was a tulpa. She might have been a tulpa, but mm -hmm. the, the only two tulpas for sure are Dougie and I mean, the original Dougie, the Dougie that ends up in the red room. And he kind of says, this is, you know, he kind of shrinks down and there's just a gold ball left. And then the other one is Diane. We know that, you know, both times they're killed or they disappear, whatever. They end up in the red room. Now, maybe Phyllis did. We just didn't see it. So but because we didn't see it, I couldn't say for sure. She's a tulpa. Right. And so then, yes, there is that weird effect when Mr. C shoots her, there's sort of a stutter jump edit yeah. where it's sort of, it is very odd and it, and it was deliberate. I mean, it clearly wasn't like Lynch just made a mistake. <laughs> you know, they, they're like, let's do it this way. I think Mr. C says to her, you follow human nature almost perfect. And it's quite possible. I mean, there's a lot of good evidence that he would have installed a tulpa there because he needed her to do the thing she did essentially 
to Bill Hastings, but I wasn't confident enough in it. So I explored it a little and I took it out. And so, so unfortunately, when you get there, you'll be like, oh, darn it. Well, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't read it and write it. But um, yeah, I'm glad you did. You did entertain the thought. And oh, it, sure. It absolutely. Is, yeah. There's a couple of places in the story where, you know, I really had some ideas and I wanted to go deeper into them, but I I'll often reach a dead end. One of them, for example, is at the in part 17, where Cole goes through the whole plan. We had a plan, Major Briggs developed a plan. We wanted to locate this extreme negative force. And, and Cooper said to me, if I, you know, if I disappear, I'm trying to catch two birds with one stone. If I disappear, do everything you can to find me. Well, I spent maybe a week and a half mm -hmm. <laughs> writing that out, trying. I went through all of Frost's book. I went through the scripts. I went through, I'm trying wow. to figure out what is Cole you talking about, you know, and, you know, and then it fell apart. I couldn't make it work. Well, what I did rather than ignore it, as I say, I, I can't, you can't make sense of it. I, you know, I don't know. I think maybe Lynch and Frost were working at different, uh, you know, goals here. And that's part of why it doesn't fit together. Um, so at least I try to, I don't want to ignore it. I want to say it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. I want to say that I can't make it make sense. I mean, it's funny that Cole says, Cooper said, do everything you can to find me. And then, you know, what is Cole doing? He's having wine with the French woman and he's, you know, he's, he's not, he doesn't seem that concerned. So it, it doesn't quite add up. I think that's part of the fun too of Twin Peaks is that mm. it, some of it doesn't quite fit together and, and we try to make it fit together. And I did. And in some of those cases I couldn't. So I just say, I just can't make it fit together. And then I do say in, in, I think it's part three where, Cole and Albert are looking at the congressman's dilemma. It's a case they have laid out for them on the table where there's all these photos and bizarre artifacts. And Albert says, you know, this guy had couldn't, you know, he killed his wife, but he really didn't. Someone else did, but it's national security. And it's all these weird clues. And I write about that saying that I think Lynch and Frost are having a little fun with the fans <laughs> in that here's this mystery that they give us all these clues and we are going to try to figure it out, but you can't figure it out because it's just impossible to figure out. You know, I, I did spend time trying to figure out the congressman's. I, maybe the clues were there and I can, what the pliers mean, you know, <laughs> and uh, there's not enough there. And I think maybe they're having a little, poking a little fun at us for trying too hard to make sense. I mean, my whole book is about trying to make sense of it, but I acknowledge the fact that some of it is just sort of there and it's open for us to think about it however we want. It sounds like a cop-out, but the, the Phyllis Tulpa thing or the Phyllis gunshot thing is, is mysterious. And um, maybe I should have said a little more like it's mysterious. And I don't know what it means, but I, um, I just kind of, I left it. No, <laughs> it's a great question. It's an important thing, but how did the cover of for the book come about? You know, what I wanted to do with the cover is I wanted to do some image that was connected to specifically Twin Peaks, the return, not, just Twin Peaks, I got, you know, a cup of coffee or cherry pie. Those are the classic images. And so I wanted something that was explicitly from the new Twin Peaks. And, you know, way, way back when, like, oh, well, of course, it's going to be a vortex or a mushroom cloud, right? I mean, those are the things I'm going to put in there. Well, I think Andreas beat me to it with the mushroom cloud. Andreas Halskov has a book out. And I realized, okay, 
I need something else. And then so for a while, I was going to do an electric socket, some sort of electric socket. I was going to try to get the, the weird one in the in NATO's mansion, you know, or try to get a picture. Uh, that it wasn't working for me. And, and then I thought, well, the, the electric towers are so iconic, particularly in part 18, where Cooper drives to them. That's what the 430 means. There's these giant towers in the desert. And I thought people would know, right? If I had a picture of an electric tower on it, and it's a Twin Peaks, they would get it. And they would get that it was the return more than yeah. anything else. That became the thing. I wanted to have the electric tower. And then I thought, you know, I want to have it at night. I thought if I could light up an electric tower at night, it would be a contrast. It would be this white, you know, skeletal image against darkness. And I mean, for months and months, I was thinking about how I was going to do this. And as I would drive around Texas and Dallas, I would look at the electric towers and how can I get to that one, you know? Mm -hmm. And finally, I found a spot where I was like right next to a road, but away from all the ambient light of the city. I had to drive a ways out. And my wife and I went January of 2022. It was a beautiful, dry, clear night, and we went out to this electric tower, and I have a flashlight that lights up to 9,000 lumens. It's wow! Bright. And so we just lit it up, and my wife was holding it. It got really, really hot. She had to wear gloves to hold on to the flashlight, but we, we lit up the tower, and then I took pictures of it just with my iPhone and, and picked one that I liked, and that's what I used on the cover. So that's awesome. Fantastic. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to try to do everything myself for this book. Wrapped in plastic back in the day, Craig and I, we did the whole thing ourselves. Craig did all the layout. I mean, obviously we can't print it ourselves, you know, take yeah. it to, to the printer, but we did everything ourselves. We figured out the covers, you know, sometimes Craig drew them. Sometimes we took pictures for them and, uh, you know, it was Craig and me. We did everything. I said, you know, I want to, I really don't want to farm any of this out. Um, although to be fair, I had Courtney Stallings do a copy edit and which I was grateful for her help uh, because at a certain point you can't copy edit your own work because you can't see it anymore. You can't read it. You miss every typo. I really wanted to do the cover and I wanted to do the layout. I wanted to pick the font. I wanted to pick exactly how the chapters were going to be designed. And so all of that was, it was fun. It was fun mm. to do. It was stressful you know, it's tricky stuff. I wanted it to be my effort at some sort of artistry. <laughs> well, it really is a great book. I keep thinking of the tourist guy, but I just love that you kind of like take us on this journey. There's just something about the way you write. It's just, you just take us in and you want to make us discuss it. And just, it just, I, it's just a joy to read. This is the best work you've ever done, John. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, partly I feel like it's like, because it's new and fresh and something, you know, I mean, that's what excites me is that it's like something we've never gotten from you before. So it's brand new John Thorne work. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, and that is true. I mean, uh, I, I just to clarify to anyone, you know, the first book was essentially reprints of Wrapped in Plastic. This book is all brand new. I mean, a couple of chapters appeared in the Blue Rose, a couple of the essays, um, but even those I've altered and, and expanded. So, so yes, a couple of pieces of the book already showed up, but 90% of this book is brand new material. And it's, you know, all about Twin Peaks, The Return. I'm happy about that too. I, that was another thing. I was like, I want to write a brand new book about Twin Peaks. I, I don't want to rely on anything I've done before. I want to start yeah. from the beginning and, 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 and produce some, something new about it. So, so that's what it is. <laughs> well, John, I'll, I'll also, before we let you go, it was interesting how we, we spoke to you 
And you were like, I don't know when the book's coming out. And then all of a sudden, like, I get a message from Ben. It's like, Brian, John's book is out. What? And, like, it was just like, bam, your book was out. And people online, I saw a lot of the comments um, when we posted it on our social media. People were like, automatic buy. Uh, someone was like... <laughs> Someone, someone wrote, like, that was the fastest I found out something was coming out to it being out. Yeah. <laughs> there was yeah. no, like, it's There's coming. no pre-orders. It's just, like, it John just is there. making it happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, and I get it. And, and pre-orders is a great idea. And I guess I didn't want to put it out until it was ready to put out. And I didn't want to promise it until I was felt comfortable with it. The main writing of the book was finished last August, a year ago, and then I revised it and re, you know, spent months and months again on it, sort of re, uh, reviewing it and perfecting it. And then Courtney had it for a while. And then my wife went through it thoroughly and mm. found some stuff. And there was the formatting and everything. And I just was like, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's coming out in October because what if I'm not done? What if I right. what if I don't feel right about it? So that's, that's, a, that's why the great it, thing about self-publishing, right? Self-publishing, you can put it out whenever you feel like putting it out, and even when you're done with it, you don't have to worry about the publisher saying, "Well, we'll 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 put it out when we feel like putting it out." It's like no, it's ready yeah, when you're that's done. that's exactly right, and it's an odd thing too doing it the way I did it through uh I did it through Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, and I know there's some Amazon people out there who are not fans of Amazon, but it works good for me. And it is, it is, it's a strange feeling because for me, the book is just a theoretical thing, you know, sitting on my dining room table and I'm reviewing it. And yes, I've got the cover done. And yes, I've got the proof in my hand. I'm looking at the final product, but all you have to do is press a button and it becomes real. It's like mm -hmm. now people can order it. And it's a very quick shift from being theoretical just in my house to other people having it. And somebody tweeted a picture of them in Australia with a copy of it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this is weird. I went, it was just in my home. It was in my house now. <laughs> and now it's in other people's houses. And it happens very quickly when you do it that way. And, you know, that's probably what will happen with the Kindle. I don't know yeah. when I'll have the Kindle. It could be this week. And then I'll just tweet it out and say it's ready now. You can order. I'll be picking it up. I I like digital. I mean, I like I like the physical copy. Yes, to be able to read it, but there's still something for me digitally where, like, oh, John was talking about this, and I yeah. could just type in yeah. uh, fireman and yeah. uh, fireman and find yeah. that area right away and just start reading it. Yes, there's a lot of value to that. And, and um, I think I said this at the beginning. You know, it's just I designed the book really with a print format in mind. It's got all those footnotes at the bottoms of the pages. You know, those are sort of like color commentary that I put in mm -hmm. some of its personal anecdotes and and I wanted it to work that way so that when you're paging through it you see the text and then you see these footnotes at the bottom that kind of complement what I'm writing so that was designed but in order to translate that into the Kindle it, it's not going to work the same way those footnotes will be links and they'll be at the back of the chapter mm -hmm. or however they do it so it won't quite operate the way I intended it to um but that's okay i mean i yeah. i can i can shift it around uh but i it, it takes a little more work because i really designed it for print and so now i have to kind of rearrange some things and reformat it slightly yeah. and but i will and it'll be out as a kid at some point the hard copy is coming too though yeah and again i said at the beginning you know, just get the paperback. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get a hardcover, hey, look, it's a little bit more money for me, but not much. It's a lot more money for you, though. I mean, it's like twice as much. But, I, you know, 
it, hardback kind of is a nice thing. Maybe, maybe it, it'll last a little longer. I don't know. We'll see. I haven't even seen it yet. When I'm talking to you, I have yet to see what the hardback looks like. They mm. made me making me wait two weeks to even get a proof copy. Well, thank you, John. This has been so exciting. We get to be the first people to talk about this book. I it's it's something special. I I just love it. I, I almost want to say, so when's the next book coming? <laughs> <laughs> oh my four. gosh! Season four. Uh, uh, season four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Take well, it in. Enjoy be- this moment that you've worked <laughs> hard for the last four years. On enjoy this moment and, and uh, enjoy every good thing that the the fans are going to say about this. Thanks. Yeah. It feels good to have it done. It feels good to kind of have most of it uh, behind me. There's some, again, a few more things to do, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it was, it was a labor of love for sure. And I'm happy with the way it came out. Fantastic job, John. And again, you can get that on Amazon, right? So that's the place to go. I mean, it's just so go qu- to Amazon and type in ominous whoosh, or, I mean, I've got it linked to other search. If you typed in David Lynch or you typed in twin peaks, Hopefully it'll, I haven't even done that yet. I should see what happens, but um, hopefully it'll come up, you know, as, as one of the options that, you know, your book would come up and Courtney's book would come up, (laughs) but you type in ominous whoosh, you should see it and you can order it. It's print on demand and they should have one out to you within a few days. I don't know how quickly you guys got yours. I got mine two days by prime, but I got it within two days. You got Ben, I will tell you, you got the very first copy in the world. And I know that for a fact, because I hadn't told anyone I and I told you, and then there was an order. I was like, well, the only person who knows is Ben. So I know. Should I say this? I didn't, tell anybody. I didn't even tell Brian right away, Brian. I was like, I held off. I was like, I'm going to be the first one to get his book. And so then I, I said to my wife, I said, well, and I ordered author copies and they, I still don't have those. I, I, I don't have those yet. They, like two weeks to wait for those. I'm like, well, mm, I wow. need to have a copy of it. So we ordered a copy. We paid full price for it. And <laughs> we went, so then I could see there was another order. And then yours and my order were due on, on Monday to show up. Yep. You delivered and you got yours. But we had all that flooding in Dallas. So it delayed oh. my book a day <laughs> and I didn't get it till Tuesday. And I'm looking, I can see online how many have been ordered. And at that point only, and, and I think uh, Josh had ordered one. I ordered a copy and you had it. You, you sent me a picture. I'm like, that's it. That's the very first copy. And uh, and then I got one the next day. So nice. I finally got to see because I had proof copies, but proof copies have a big that's banner it. across that says not for not for resale. So yeah. um, the final, final product I hadn't seen uh, until Tuesday. That's awesome. Nice. It's well, well worth the four year yeah. wait for this. So this is awesome. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks you guys. Hey, thanks for giving me some time and 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 carving out some time on your your busy schedules. I really do appreciate it. I, I you know I want to people to know about it. This is the best place to go and talk about it. So so thanks. Always glad to have you. We, we we always feel lucky to have you. If anything, we're like oh you know we we ask for John all the time on the shows, and it's like I hope he doesn't get sick of us. I'm afraid people get sick of me. I didn't no know way. you know. No. I mean. All right. Well, if you have a comment, question, or theory, drop us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Like us, subscribe to us on all the places, and go to Amazon and get John's book today. And we'll be back uh, in October with another uh, Twin Peaks Unwrapped episode.